Okay, well today we're going to uh, continue our uh, little journey in the book of Acts, right? We've, we began a few weeks ago and we're still in the, the, still the beginning, right? Uh, and uh, we've learned a lot of things so far uh, about the beginning, about uh, the relationship of Luke, you know, the book of Luke to Acts, right? Uh, we uh, uh, learned about how in the book of Acts, he dis- he's writing to the same person, and he's describing the book of Acts, uh, or the book of Luke uh, at the beginning, because if you remember, we said that Luke and Acts were like, were uh, two books together, like two volumes of the same work. Uh, and it's always important to remember that, always important uh, to remember, uh, you know, uh, that uh, truth. When you're reading Acts, it's related to uh, a Luke. And we've also, we've, uh, you know, we've talked already about that. The story of Yeshua. Luke is about the story of Yeshua until the day is taken up. And Acts is from the time he's taken up to really the end of Paul's, uh, pretty much the end of Paul's ministry, right? Uh, and uh, and it, it, we talked also about uh what we read here um, uh, in verse uh, four and five about how they had to how they had to gather together and stay in Jerusalem, and this is what it says at the very end of the book of Luke: how they had to stay in the city and so on, and uh, wait uh, for what the Father had promised, uh, which He said, "You heard from me." And we may we we talked a lot about when uh, when Luke writes here, which He said, "You have heard from me." Uh, from Yeshua, he's like quoting Yeshua, which you've heard from me, that, you know, most of what you read about the pouring out of the Spirit from Yeshua is in the Gospel of John, in the 14th and the 16th chapters. But, interestingly enough, what he does, he goes back to the beginning uh, of Yohanan, of John, John the Immerser, and he relates uh, the pouring out of the Spirit to the beginning of John immersed in water, Yeshua is coming to immerse in the Spirit. This new ministry of the Ruach, the pouring out of the Spirit, the empowering of the, of the Ruach, the immersion or baptism of the Spirit. And uh, we said, uh, we took a long time, a whole message to talk about it, that uh, that is the, uh, the pouring out of the Spirit. That is what Joel was, uh, was talking about. Uh, uh, this new ministry of the Spirit, which is the beginning of the Messianic era, which is the beginning of the Messianic age, uh, living in the environment of the Ruach. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about that when we come to the second chapter, uh, when, that, uh, when that takes place. But the basic truth here is they're looking forward to the big, to the big event. They're looking forward to the beginning of the Olam Haba. When you're talking about what has God promised, uh, to what the Father has promised, it's not, we often atomize these things or like make them into lo- tiny little, he promised this and he promised this and he promised this. He promised a new age. He promised a new era. He promised the day when the wolf would lay down with the lamb, when there would be peace, when, uh, uh, you know, when uh, God would rule, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, what what, what uh, we could say, what Judaism looks forward to, what the scriptures look forward to, 
Uh, and Lord willing, what we expect indeed as well. Uh, and so you can just imagine their expectation being in this place and saying, okay, you know, we're, we, are, we are ready, you know. And that's why they ask the most natural and correct question. Now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what we talked about uh, last time. Uh, that is not the wrong question. You know, when you read in commentaries ab- about uh, the understanding of the apostles, oftentimes it's very negative. They, they, they're painted in a very negative light, like they still don't get it. And it's not going to be until the Ruach is poured out uh, that, they, uh, that they understand what's really going on. No, I would suggest they really do understand what's going on. And they understand that everything that Yeshua is talking about and the promise of the Father and the, the Ruach and all of that comes in the context of the restoration of Israel. And that is what this is all about. It is about the restoration of Israel and, of course, through Israel, the nations, right? Uh, and so when we read in our systematic theology books, that this is about the birth of the church. That's often what it's called, the birth of the church. No, it's about the restoration of Israel and therefore also of the nations. And it's important to frame it, uh, to frame it that way because that is indeed what you read in the prophets and it is indeed what you read from the lips of Yeshua uh, as, as well. Uh, now, remember we also talked about the part that, that was a mystery. And the part that was a mystery, Peter will begin to unpack. And that is that this new era begins with the pouring out of the Ruach, but the, this, and this kingdom begins, but it is, so to speak, invisible. That the day will indeed come when Yeshua returns, sits on his throne, and physically the world is indeed transformed. But the mystery, and you read about it in places like Matthew chapter 13, the mystery of the kingdom, is that, it, that when it comes, it can, be, it can be rejected. And that it's going to look very small, but it's really very precious and powerful. See? And that Yeshua is indeed the king. And remember, I, I was telling you uh, about a book called The Unseen Real, The Unseen Reality of the Presence of the Kingdom of God. Uh, and that's the part that they didn't get. But they certainly understood that everything that Yeshua had been teaching them uh, before his death and resurrection and during the 40 days after his resurrection was about the restoration uh, of Israel. So it was a very natural question for them, uh, for them to ask. Lord, in verse 6, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And then he responds, and he says that nobody knows when it's going to be. He, uh, now, Yeshua did talk about signs when, uh, you know, in Matthew 24 and things of that nature, uh, but uh, no one knows when that is. So anybody that tells you that they know when it is evidently knows more than Yeshua here. That's uh, pretty presumptuous, right? It says uh, in verse 7, you don't know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But then he says in verse 8, very powerful verse, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and everywhere else, to the remotest part of the earth. And we talked about my witnesses, a very important phrase, my witnesses, right? That is what we read in Isaiah chapter 43 and Isaiah chapter 44 about the, the calling of Israel. And that's why you see another Another demonstration that this is about the restoration of Israel. Now, you will be, you restored Israel, will fulfill your calling of being a witness not only to the rest of Israel, but indeed to the world. That is what Israel has always been called to be. And now, in the coming of Yeshua, Israel begins to live this out. And that is how the book of Acts is laid out. It's very important that we're in Jerusalem and that when we see the beginning of the pouring out of the Ruach, it's in Jerusalem, right? And if you, uh, and we will notice this, <laughs> that it's in Jerusalem and a lot of things go on in Jerusalem and then it moves out a little farther to more of like the Hellenistic Jews and then uh, to like God-fearers, like Gentiles who kind of have one foot in the synagogue and, and one foot out. And then to just Gentiles who have no relationship uh, uh, to Israel. Uh, and that's kind of, it's like you could almost like make like rings around the chapters of the book of Acts. And that's how Acts is laid out because that is what Luke is showing us here. That, in the, that this is about the restoration of Israel for the benefit of the nations. And when we understand that, everything kind of falls into place. Uh, in uh, the book of Acts. So now uh, we come to verse 9. Now I will say that probably from here on out I won't go back to the beginning and this is where we've been because it's getting farther and farther away from us. Okay, so verses 9, 10, and 11. That's what we want to look at for the next few minutes. Okay, this is uh, the ascension of Yeshua. Yeshua being taken up uh, and disappears into a cloud. All right? So it says, and after he had said these things, he basically gives them the commission, tells them what's going to happen, tells them the wait, gives them all the instructions. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into the sky? This Yeshua, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Okay. So, you know, you can just uh, imagine the, the emotion of, of all this. So this is like, you know, it's 40 days. It's the 40th day. And Yeshua has uh, been with them in his uh, resurrected body, and he's been teaching them all about himself. You know, we've looked, and when you look in Luke uh, 24, he said, you know, he pointed to the Torah and the prophets and the writings, and he's pointing out everything about himself. And, uh, and he's been with them. Then prior to that, you know, during the, his uh, ministry, and when he called them from where they were, uh, and they had all those experiences together, Right? Uh, he tells them to wait, and then he disappears. He disappears. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. Can you imagine that? Uh, what, you know, I'm sure that is something that lived with them for the rest of their lives. 
and was uh, certainly uh, very motivating to them uh, as they uh, shared the good news of Yeshua. And it says, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, this is really uh, very important that a cloud received him, okay? It's not just any old cloud, like some cumulus cloud, okay, uh, received him. It's not just that it was, you know, a cloudy day, right? So we read about the cloud. We read about this cloud when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, right? We read it in the 13th uh, chapter of Exodus, right? There's some real continuity here. In the 13th chapter of Exodus, we read at the very end of the chapter in verse 21, and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night before the peop- from before the people. So the presence of God is a cloud, right? Uh, then you come to the very end of Exodus, very end when the tabernacle is built and the glory of the Lord appears in the tabernacle. Then we read in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, right? Moses was not able to enter into the tent uh, of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, right? Uh, And then, you know, he spends uh, a lot of time writing about this. Uh, The next few verses, And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if a cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the, in the sight of the house of Israel. We read about the cloud in, in Leviticus. Uh, I believe it's in the 16th chapter. We read about the cloud settling above the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we read about the cloud entering the temple when Solomon is dedicating the temple. We read about the presence of God in the cloud. Then in the Brit Hadashah, when we read about how Yeshua was transfigured, right, uh, that a cloud appeared, the presence of, of God. Uh, and so it makes sense that when Yeshua ascends uh, to the right hand of the Father, that there is indeed a cloud. And so when we put away like the baggage of this is the new covenant, you know what I mean? Uh, this is not the same as the Torah or the, the Tanakh, you know? And so we have, we're just very used to seeing this as a very different work. But the reality is it is not a very different work. It is a continuation of the story. And so it should not surprise us that we see here uh, Yeshua is received into a cloud. And even though he is the first person to be resurrected, not resuscitated, but resurrected from the dead, he's not the first one to be received up, right? Uh, Enoch and Elijah uh, indeed as well. So it is not like some kind of Greek pagan story that we're reading about. It is part and parcel of how God has interacted with Israel, with the Jewish people, 
from the very, from the very beginning. Okay? And so Yeshua is uh, received up uh, in, uh, in the cloud. All right. Now, you know what's also interesting here is uh, notice what else it says. We read here um, uh, in verse 10, and as they were gazing intently into the sky, can't you just picture, see this? Like, whoa, where did he go? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, this uh, was a miraculous uh, uh, you know, event that took place. So as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Two men in like really sharp clothing here. Where do we read about this? Oh, in Luke chapter 24. Okay, in Luke chapter 24, we read at the beginning. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Yeshua. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. Okay? So here you have two men in dazzling apparel. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, Luke uh, again mentions two people in, you know, really sharp outfits, evidently. Right? Uh, in uh, these, um, uh, as it says, uh, in... Um, in white clothing, uh, stood beside them. Okay? What's interesting uh, about that uh, is uh, that um, uh, there is this relationship. Once Yeshua is raised from the dead, in fact, in the same chapter, in verse 31, in Luke 24, 31, you know how Yeshua, when Yeshua was with them in his resurrected body, and it was a real body, but that he could disappear. It says he vanished, you know? So there's like, when Yeshua is raised from the dead, there's already the beginning of this, um, that he, of his location is, we're not quite sure, you know? He disappears, he appears, he disappears as, in, as a, uh, in a real body. But then when we come to uh, this passage right here, the ascension of Yeshua, we must recognize that in the, uh, in the purpose of the coming of Messiah, yes, of course, he, he, came to, he came to reveal himself. He came to teach. Certainly, he came to die for our sins. He came to be raised from the dead. But part of all of that, what makes all of that effective, is that he ascends to the presence of the Father. And it's very interesting because this is in the, uh, in the teaching of Yeshua, especially when he talks about the fact that he has to leave. Okay? I'm going to suggest that he's, when he says he has to leave, he's not talking about specifically about dying. He's talking about going to the Father. He's talking about the, uh, the, the, the end game of the first coming. Because the end game of the first coming of Yeshua is being seated at the right hand of the Father so that the ruach could be poured out, okay? Uh, and so, for example, uh, in uh, John, it's, it's very interesting to look at, you know, when you, when you look at these passages all together, you say, wow, I never noticed that he really emphasized this. So in um, uh, John uh, chapter 14, in verse uh, 12, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And that we'll see in the second chapter how this is dramatically important. When you know you're going, they share, he's saying, you share in my power and my work. Why? Because of the Ruach being poured out. How could that happen? Because Yeshua must be glorified, as we read in John chapter 7, right? Uh, he must be at the right hand of the Father for the Ruach to be poured out. Okay, then in chapter 14 and verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. In chapter 16, uh, in verse uh, 10, he's talking about the relationship of the pouring out of the Ruach to the world. And he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you no longer, you will no longer behold me. I go to the Father. I go to the Father. I go to the Father. And so Yeshua being ascended to the right hand of God uh, is, uh, is one of the most uh, under-talked about parts of the ministry of uh, Yeshua. In order for his death and resurrection to, become, to be effective, he must go to the Father. He must be at the right hand uh, of uh, the Father, right? Uh, and speaking of the right hand of God, right? Uh, the right hand of God is a very important place to be. Uh, for example, we read very specifically the most often quoted verse from the Tanakh in the New Covenant is Psalm 110 in verse 1, where we read, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Okay? Sit at my right hand. And so David is saying this. The Lord says to my Lord. And Yeshua, he himself mentions this a number of times, that if, if David is talking to the Lord, who's my Lord? And of course, we see he's talking about the Mashiach, the Messiah being at the right hand of a God, the right hand uh, of the Father. And then, you know, there's lots of, I just picked out a few of these. In Psalm 16, in uh, the uh, 11th verse, the very end of it, it says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In, in the next uh, psalm, in Psalm 17, since we're in a neighborhood, right? There in verse 7, Wondrously show thy loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. And then I have uh, several uh, other places as well. But So it is very significant that Yeshua ascends into, a, into the cloud to the presence of the Father, and not anywhere but at his right hand, the place of power, uh, the place of dominion, the place of mercy, the place of joy. And that is uh, where uh, Yeshua, uh, where Yeshua is. So here we see, okay, the, uh, the fact that Yeshua is, uh, is uh, taken up. Uh, into heaven, 
uh, in the cloud, in the presence of God, at his right hand, that uh, all of this is part of the part of the promise of the Father, right? Because as we'll see, it is from here in the next chapter uh, that the Ruach, uh, that the Ruach is poured out. Now, just to finally here, when he says, you men of Galilee, that's interesting too, you men of Galilee. They're in Jerusalem, right? I mean, they're in Jerusalem, but it says, you men of Galilee. And uh, we know that Yeshua's primary uh, location of ministry was in the Galilee, right? Uh, and uh, the apostles, they were not, uh, they were not uh, Sadducees, they were not priests, uh, they were not leading Pharisees and scribes, right? Uh, they were men from the Galilee. You know, uh, uh, it would be like saying, you know, you're from, uh, you're from uh, Yennervelt, we would say. From the outer darkness place. You're from nowhere. You're from nowhere. You know, you're from no place. You, you know, that, that's the men of Galilee. But we'll see uh, how God used these men of Galilee to turn their world upside down, right? It's a great uh, devotional lesson for us in, in this. Uh, oh, you men, of, you men and women of, uh, of Columbus, <laughs> you know, uh, you uh, people who live in Pataskala, uh, you know, uh, you people who live in, uh, dare I say, West Virginia or uh, elsewhere, you know, uh, wherever it may be. You know, uh, that uh, these were not the leading, they were not the leading citizens of Jerusalem. That's the point. They were not, now that I've offended some people, that's good thing, okay? They, they were not the leading people of, uh, of Jerusalem. But these are the people who are going to turn the world upside down. You men of Galilee, okay? All right. Uh, then we say, why do you stand looking in the sky? Then he says, this Yeshua who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Very important. He's going to come back out of the cloud. Okay? Uh, now, this is, this is what Yeshua talked about, didn't he? When you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, right? His self-understanding is this is who he was. Why does he say Son of Man coming in the clouds? Why? Because there's a promise in the Tanakh. There's a promise in the Tanakh of at the, the Olam Haba coming with the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Again, this is not some kind of Greek pagan uh, uh, idea or something that these people invented. It comes right out of the pages of the Jewish Bible, right? In Daniel chapter 7, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Tanakh. In Daniel chapter 7. And it's a very interesting passage. Some of us are familiar with it. Some of us might not be. Maybe you've heard rumors about it. I don't know. But um, anyway, uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 7, you read about, well, in the book of Daniel, it's very interesting. You read about a series of kingdoms, empires. Better to say empires, like world empires, okay? Kingdom reminds me, when I see a kingdom, sometimes it's like what, like the... Uh, the enchanted kingdom or something, you know. But like world empires, right? And he talks about a series of empires. And a long, not a long time ago, but sometime in the past, I uh, did a series on Daniel, right? And we said how there's these four empires, and the fact that it talks about four empires is like uh, a paradigm of all world empires, 
These in particular, but it, it, it relates to all world empires. Uh, and it is, uh, it's very interesting. I sense a little tangent coming on. Uh, and that is, I, you know, uh, I've been watching um, some of the, you know Ken Burns is, some of you know Ken Burns is, right? You know Ken Burns is? Okay, maybe you do. Uh, he, uh, of course, what he's most famous for is, of course, doing this great documentary on the history of baseball. But anyway, uh, he did some other things as well. Uh, and, uh, and so I've been watching some of them. Uh, and what I am learning uh, is that uh, uh, ever since the beginning, ever since the fall of man, empires have risen and fallen, and it seems that the nature of, nat- of peoples is to be stronger than other peoples. And, that the, and, and when peoples come together and form empires, that the goal is to subdue what's ever uh, around them, okay? And uh, it's very interesting because the first time you ever read about subdue, you know where the first time you read about in the Bible, the word subdue, anybody know? It's in the Garden of Eden, right? It's in the Garden of Eden. And it's about, uh, it's about the animals, right? Uh, but what's interesting is that when you look up that word, it's the same word that you read later on all throughout the Bible of subjugation. It's the same word, but it's, it's used differently before the fall of man. Before the fall of man, uh, it is for, you know, overseeing, caring, and so on. After the beginning of Genesis, it's used for subjugation. And one of the things I'm learning is that when you look at the history of the world, it is one empire after another, one empire after another. Now, some are better than others, Right? Uh, and in the best case, it's for, from, from the empire's point of view, for the good of the world, you know, uh, to uh, make the world a better place, uh, to bring, uh, to bring a, a civilized way of life, right? When, when you read about world empires. But they all end up messing up. There's not one world empire that has ever existed, as benevolent as it may be, that has really worked out for everybody involved, okay? So here in Daniel, we have this great picture of world empires, and then you have the final empire. The final empire is God's empire. The final empire is God's kingdom, God's, God's rule, who is absolutely benevolent and who really does give the world everything that people really want, like peace and kindness and no war uh, anywhere and any you know all, all those things that, that people really really uh, desire so we read here in the seventh chapter now this is the end game this is like the final empire right should be a movie right yeah okay so uh, we read here uh, first uh, uh, in verse 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Clearly the Ancient of Days, God, right? The the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool and his throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads and myriads were standing before him. Doesn't it sound kind of like the very last book of the Bible? 
the book of Revelation. Well, what a coincidence, right? Not, what a coincidence, not, right? Uh, the court sat and the books were open. Then I kept looking uh, because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. And I was looking upon the, and the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. These are like the enemies of God, these, the you know, empires and the, uh, the uh, Hasatan, you know, Satan, the, the beast, and so on. All right. Then you come to verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Oh, clouds of heaven. How could it be? And look, at they kept looking. Isn't that interesting? Kind of reminds you a little bit of what? The apostles are doing, okay? One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations of men of every language might serve him. His dominion was an, is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Okay? Wow. Now, Yeshua identified himself his primary way of talking about himself was son of man, okay? When people were talking to him or about him, they often referred to him as son of God, okay? Which in, the, in Bible language is the king, okay? Son of man is this one who's coming in the clouds to be the king. Now, there is a book uh, called The Jewish Gospels. We've mentioned it once in a while by a guy named Daniel Boyarin. Great little book, very accessible book to read. Uh, and he is a Jewish scholar. He also, in other words, he has no like axe to grind. He's not, he's not a, 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 a Jewish believer in Messiah. He's a Jewish uh, theologian, historian kind of person. And so he wrote this book about how the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, mostly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are, are, are written as Jewish documents. Okay? And in there, uh, he says that in, the, in this period of time of the first century when Yeshua lived, that uh, there was a lot of discussion. It was like, you know, people were looking for the Messiah because it was a very bad time, right? There's a lot of discussion about who is this Son of Man. If the Ancient of Days is God, who is this Son of Man? Is he like a demigod, a junior god, a second god? We don't believe in any of that. Who? Who is this Son of Man coming in the clouds? And Yeshua identifies himself as this one. He gives clarity to this discussion. He is identified as and with yud heh Hashem, the God of Israel. Okay? And it's very interesting because you read in places like in, in the prophet Zechariah, you know the passage, all the nations are going to come to Jerusalem, and what are they going to do? They're going to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Wait a minute. Is he a king? Is he the Lord who's a king? Is he God who's going to sit on a throne? This is who, indeed, Yeshua is. You read in Psalm 2, the coronation psalm of the kings of Israel. At the very end, it talks about how all the nations are going to pay homage to the king of Israel. Well, that's never been done. Right? You don't pay homage to uh, simply a, a man sitting on a throne. But the Messiah is different altogether. And so here in Acts chapter 1, when Yeshua ascends into the cloud, and these uh, two men who were there at the resurrection, 
which was like the next stage of being raised up, right? Say to him, men of Galilee, like you should know this, right? He's coming back just like he ascended. Now, the big question becomes, now that we've talked about his ascension, and we've talked about he's going to return like the Son of Man coming in the clouds. What about the meantime, right? Well, this is what Yeshua tells them, right? He's already told them. You shall be witnesses. You shall be witnesses of all of this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. And so this is the calling of the this is the calling of, of Israel. It's the calling of the remnant of Israel and all who come under the kingship of the Messiah of Israel. Jew, Gentile alike, whoever claims belief in Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, we have a mandate to be witnesses, to share the good news of the Messiah, to Everything from invite people to, to come into the kingdom of God, into the presence of God, into the atmosphere of the immersion of the Spirit, as we'll see uh, in the second chapter, uh, uh, which means the forgiveness of sins, which means an assurance of a destiny with the Lord, which means empowerment in this life uh, and everything that goes with it. And so that is what we see here at the beginning. So here uh, they're waiting to receive the immersion of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the immersion of the Ruach, as the, as, uh, the prophet Joel pointed out, as we read about in Jeremiah and as we read about in Ezekiel. But uh, uh, when we get to the second chapter, we'll talk all about those passages again, and we'll talk about what all of that means. So it's interesting that now in the 12th verse, okay, I, I'm just going to read the 12th verse. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? So they, they're hearing all this at the, at the Mount of Olives, okay? And uh, if you've been to Israel, you know that I mean, it's not like it's, uh, whoa, way out there. If you're standing on the southern steps of the temple, you just look right over there. There's the Mount of Olives. You can see it uh, very clearly. It's not very far away, right? Uh, in the environs uh, of uh, Jerusalem. So they're at the Mount of Olives. Now they come back to Jerusalem because that's where the action is. That's where they're going to wait. And uh, the rest of the chapter, as we'll see, is uh, it's rather interesting. Peter says some interesting things, and uh, and they have to take care of a few uh, of a few loose ends, as we'll see next time. They ha uh, there, there's an apostle who's missing. They need twelve, and we'll talk about that. Right? Judas Iscariot is no longer with us. Right? Uh, and so uh, they have to be prepared for this great moment. And so we'll see how they choose another apostle. Uh, and then comes uh, the pouring out uh, of the Ruach and all that that means. So what's the takeaway for us today? The takeaway for, for us today is that while we were not there, uh, we know as people who have uh, entered into the environment of the immersion of the Spirit, of, of we abide in him and he abides in us, 
that we live in his resurrection. And it's interesting that Paul says, not only are we immersed into the resur- it's his death and resurrection, but we are identified with him at the right hand of the Father. This unseen reality. And that, that is really who we are and where we are. Okay, uh, And that we have a mandate, that we have been empowered to be a witness. And that we have a job to do. Until he comes, whenever that is, we have a job to do. And that is to make his name in word and deed. And of course, we'll be talking more about that. So let us be uh, aware of that and think about that. That, wow, am I living that? Am I being that testimony? Am I being that witness? Uh, am I sharing the good news by the way, by, by word, testimony, uh, and by deed? You know, and it's, it's great that uh, tomorrow you're out there at the Ohio State Fair and uh, sharing the good news of Messiah. That's exactly what you're doing. So, uh, you know, how encouraging uh, that is indeed for, for all of us. But wherever we may be, may we have that uh, on our minds that, wow, that is indeed the call. All right, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you. Uh, Lord, for this uh, great word that we're reading. We thank you really for your faithfulness that despite everything, Lord, unbelief, rejection, you still came and fulfilled the calling. Thank you, God, that Yeshua ascended to your right hand. Thank you, Lord, that as a result, we can identify and share in the empowerment and the love of Yeshua. Lord, we pray that we would indeed be a testimony to this world. And we pray, Lord, that more and more people would uh, come and, and uh, be able to embrace Yeshua and enter into this spiritual, this immersion of the Spirit and live in that environment and walk in the Ruach, Lord, who was promised to our fathers, who our, who our rabbis I uh, look forward to, Lord, this pouring out of the Ruach that they're waiting for. Lord, we know that it's written all over the text of the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. It's in the literature of our rabbis, in the Mishnah and the Talmud. But Lord, you have seen fit to open our eyes to the truth that the Ruach has indeed been poured out because Yeshua is indeed the Messiah. And we pray in his name.